a smooth start today. Welcome to Animal Voices. We are Western Canada's only radio program dedicated to animal advocacy and compassionate living. This is 100.5 FM Co-op Radio CFRO on unceded and ancestral Tsleil-Waututh, Musqueam, and Squamish territories here in so-called Vancouver, British Columbia, Turtle Island. Today is Friday, October 22nd, 2021, and I will be your host today, Grace Wampold, joined by my co-host, Allison. Hello there. So glad to be here. Welcome to the show. This week, we will be doing a movie review of Eating Our Way to Extinction, which was narrated by Kate Winslet, and we will also have a feature interview with the owner of Drop Naked Chocolate, Matan Village. And of course, we'll be updating ourselves on how Allison's doing with her butt camp and oh, as yeah. usual, news and events. It's <laughs> a vegan butt camp. That's yes. why it is relevant to our show today. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and accountability is always great. <laughs> That's right. I take photos every day of myself when I'm at the gym, oh. actually, and I send them to my, my workout buddy friend, and I just go, accountability photo. <laughs> and it's, it's me looking kind of gross as mm. I usually do in the gym. But I'm there, and I'm and I'm and I showed up, and that's all that matters. So I want to say, if um, if you're new to hearing about this 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 week, is I have signed up for a very a very intense physical challenge. It's not just a challenge of the body; it's a challenge of the mind as well. I'm finding in the last week since I've started. My mind has been confused so many times, and that's a really good way to actually avoid dementia and mm-hmm. and actually to keep your mind going by constantly challenging it and learning new things. I've been learning so many new exercises and so many new moves and and in the gym and learning about how all the gym equipment works, which I had mm-hmm. always like a lot of the stuff I had never used before. I've had a gym membership at this gym, like that major gym for many, many, many years, 20 years or something like that. And yeah, so it's been a real learning experience for me. But what I want to say a week, uh, it's been a bit more than a week now, what I am getting out of it um, in week two, I can find that number one, I actually feel that my body is stronger, which is cool. Wow. I'm activating my muscles, even though it's been a week, and I'm already I'm already feeling that my body parts, my <laughs> muscles are getting stronger, and then also I'm getting more flexible as well mm. because you have to manipulate your body into all these weird, um, you know, weightlifting exercises right. and body weight exercises, and I'm finding that I'm actually more flexible, which has been an issue for me because I have a lot of lower. I have like knee problems, Mm. I have hip problems, and I'm finding that um, I saw my physio this morning, which she was very helpful, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's really important to get that aftercare, I think, and to stretch it out in that, but uh, I am finding that she, that I'm actually more flexible a week after just because I'm moving my body in these different ways that I said are, is confusing the heck out (laughs) of my brain my body and uh, and just confusing your muscles is yeah. the best way to actually grow muscle right so that's that's what the program is and like build those like time. neural networks you know exactly like, exactly a lot of older Christ. people can't reach far behind them and you know you have that flexibility you're born with it but you lose it over time people don't to, practice it yeah. and often sometimes when i've been in the physiotherapist i've said like oh i can't do lunges because of my knee and then uh, this is two different physiotherapists. They've shown me like, oh, here, like maybe you're not just not doing it right. Just here, let me like just tilt this and bend this right. and do it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, my knee got <laughs> got right to the ground. How did how did you do that? And now I'm finding that I'm starting mm. to have those capabilities. It's really empowering, I should say, as a person. And this is a this is a vegan um, muscle building and shredding programs so if you're interested the sculpted vegan it's called the vegan butt camp it goes for two months and i'm in my second week so yesterday i had um we had what we call uh refuel days a couple days Mm -hmm. a week so just cardio yesterday 
and I had the opportunity to have a one-hour timed <laughs> before work like dinner. Power at, dinner. Yeah, <laughs> power. No, it wasn't rushed. No, uh, yeah. Power dinner. Uh, <laughs> I had a one-hour dinner at the wonderful Chi Vegan Restaurant here on West Fourth in Vancouver, which uh, I know we both really love, right? So much. I'm yeah. so happy. I've ordered in Chi multiple times with my partner, and they have a really great variety of food there. Yeah, they've changed up their menu since the summer as well. So mm. yes. Yesterday, um, so I was trying to think like high protein, uh, like lots of greens, but you can do a bit of like I had some brown rice. That's okay. And this was like this was my main meal of the day. So I had the butter chicken, which is she makes out of Chef Chi there. She makes out of, I think, Gardein chicken and really nice sauce with brown rice and then for appetizers we shared the smoky eggplant which was Mm. amazing i love eggplant i love smoke put the two (laughs) together you've got a good combination and then what i had last time i was there was the bean curd skin which is so tasty so as weird as it might sound it's it's skin but you know what it's skin off beans as opposed to skin off skin off uh sentient beings yeah. <laughs> so, and it's really a traditional good. food i mm-hmm. last week went to um bokong with my coworkers, and we got the traditional like bean curd with pine mushrooms from their uh dim sum menu and it's so good i I, mean, I love bean curd i love and the bean curd rolls that you said pokong like oh my goodness yeah. or even some bokong mm-hmm. uh they're they're cro- it's across the street. Right, yeah. So, so good. But you went to meet on Main. I did or, just last or, night. Or was it Gastown or Yaletown? Uh, in Yaletown. Okay, Yeah, because cool. we were getting some uh, outfits for a wedding that we're going to next month and decided since it was late and we were downtown, we would just get dinner. Um, and it's funny, you got the butter chicken. Emil got, uh, my partner, got the mac and cheese, which is gluten-free, which is so exciting. It was really, really good gluten-free mac and cheese, and then you can add on the butter chicken to that. Yes, I've seen that. So nice. Very uh, heavenly and saucy. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what, um, that's really what, uh, you know, like, real comfort food is. Exactly. Mac and cheese and butter chicken. I'll always remember that Earthling Ed ordered the mac and cheese when we took him out to lunch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's hard to find a good one, so it is like really worth plugging. And uh, I got I, every time I go, I get the cauliflower they have. That's one of my favorite items on their menu. Um, but it makes me remember, like we, we were talking about this earlier, that um, Chef Chi. We hope to have her on the show because, her, yeah. Uh, yeah, Chef Chi. She. Uh, they are going to release a book in the coming months, yeah, she's and, a book. and I know that I was always really, I was really inspired by them because when I first moved to Vancouver, Chi, uh, Chi was not a vegan restaurant; it was just called Chi. And then, in, since COVID hit, um, the owner and the chef Chi decided to she personally transitioned to being vegan and for environmental reasons, and transitioned her whole menu, which. A lot of chefs are vegan, but maybe don't work at vegan restaurants, so I think it's really worth noting and how amazing and honorable it is that they decided to transfer their menu to fully vegan. Right. Part Um, of the theme of this week's show is the climate crisis. She saw we have a climate crisis, and we're having this pandemic because of what we do to animals, and she made that personal decision to completely change her restaurant, and it's successful. So she asks us to please leave a Google review. Yeah. That's how her restaurant gets found by, by people who don't know about it yet. It's it's really amazing. Everything she makes is really tasty. And it's so easy to do Google reviews. I was uh, telling Allison there's kind of this secret community of Google local guides, and if you become a local guide, um, it's basically after having reviewed a certain number of restaurants, Google will start sending you, like, pins in the mail and socks in the mail. I was really interested about the socks. You yeah. showed me pictures. <laughs> They're really funny. They're very cute. They say local guide on them, so. It's a little known fact. Yeah. I would have thought. I had no idea until they showed he was wearing these socks. I asked you, how did they know his address to send it to? They Did they Google it? Maybe. I hope not. That's really scary. <laughs> Just randomly shows right. up in the mail. Oh. Okay. <laughs> a pair of socks. I'll take them. Yeah. Do you have any, I guess I can start with news, yeah, um, and then you can go news. into events. Okay. Um, there's a couple interesting stories. The first one that caught my eye today um, was that Oatly, the milk company, has released a clothing line. Um, so... I think you've all maybe Oatly's not that common in Canada. I think we have more um, Earth's Own. That's my favorite oat milk. Right. 
But Oatly, uh, they decided to get into sustainable fashion. And so they have a line of upcycled denim jackets. And all of them promote the vegan message. There have 10 different female artists have, who have designed the items. And they say different fun phrases like post milk. Um, and those ones are like acid wash. They're really cool. And they also have a jacket that says choose plants and another jacket that says eat less animals so you can support um, a company that has you know environmental focus and you can spread the message of veganism by wearing clothing that also is sustainable because that's a big problem is you know you could buy a shirt that says veganism but you don't know who produced that you don't know what the labor that went into making that so i i applaud oatly for trying their best um yeah. their let's best post a link to that on our facebook page animal voices vancouver I'm definitely yeah. Cool. What else? Um, another fun one was uh, on the topic of vegan dairy um, that Miyoko's Creamery has partnered with a Seattle based vegan ice cream brand called Frankie and Joe's to create Miyoko's butter toffee and chocolate ice cream. <gasps> Finally. <laughs> so if anyone, if people here are familiar with the Miyoko's yeah. brand, which we now have in Vancouver because they are in Canada, they have a Canadian distributor. Mm. It's basically the best, um, uh, what, what's her tagline? Phenomenally vegan. <laughs> it's the best, uh, some of the best non-dairy dairy you can have in your life. Exactly. So I, um, I've been making, I, I bought Miyoko's Artisan Vegan Cheese Book actually many years ago and started mm-hmm. making all her cheeses and I was like, used to follow like all her recipes and it's really about the, um, I mean, we've had shows before on how to make plant-based cheeses and with fermentation and that it's the same process. Mm-hmm. You're just not using cow's milk you can use almond milk you can use cashew milk you can use people use coconut um so she uses i think she uses cashew a lot in her cheeses Mm -hmm. and you can buy it now in the city so to know that there's uh, she also has the best tasting really good butter. butter yeah the butter is the best in the world and you can actually find that in stores like Safeway now I believe yeah. so take a look for it it's the best butter ever it's the only butter I will actually eat on a cracker as mm-hmm. a snack because it also I think it is um you know like a cultured butter which you don't usually find like, that's why it's so good exactly it has that kind of like yeah I don't even know how to describe that I guess kind of a lactic acid acidic taste um, but yeah, I mean, Yoko's been in the game for a while. I remember, yeah, one of the first time. people who's produced a, a book for vegan cheese and yeah. yeah, talking about how it's really about the, the live cultures. Um, and she's also just so charismatic. I loved watching her videos back in the day. She had a song about queso morphine that sometimes yes. gets stuck in my head. <laughs> yes. I think I've seen her sing that actually. Yeah. Whenever there's a veg fest and she's doing a demo, like usually in the States, I'm there. <laughs> she's very entertaining and she also has a, a animal sanctuary in california where she oh. lives so very multi-pronged amazing person yeah. and she just uh, she's in italy right now too i think eating all the vegan food i think she might have just been done that trip but definitely we are going to look out for miyoko's mm-hmm. ice cream here in canada uh fingers crossed that, that it comes yeah, check our facebook page we'll post you know as soon as it's up and usually our local store vegan supply is the first mm-hmm. store to get in all of these specialty items but because they do have a distributor here in canada maybe we can expect it sooner than later so yeah. you heard it here first on animal voices <laughs> okay looks like we have two minutes left do you want to go into events yeah sounds like i should do that right so yeah grab them here we've got some events coming up so our friends at the animal defense and anti-vivisection society of bc you might also know them as adav they will be hosting an online auction from november the 2nd to the 7th 2021 the money raised will go to support the work they do to end animal testing there will be hand-knitted toy dolls, vintage items, collectibles, household items, and more, including a lush body and bath gift set and some wonderful animal activism art from the talented, the very talented animal advocate and Canadian artist, Twyla Francois. I'm going to go on there and check it out. This can all be found at www 
dot bidding owl like your bidding bidding owl dot com slash a d a v society that stands for anti animal defense and anti vivisection society of course you're not going to remember that so i posted it on our facebook page as well <laughs> animal voices vancouver there's a link there and also speaking of silent fundraising auctions the vancouver humane society has an auction running now that goes until october the 25th so three more days you can find that auction now also at biddingowl.com or you can easily just find it at our link on our Facebook page at Animal Voices Vancouver. I'm just checking the time here. Probably, yeah. So if you have an animal-friendly event that you would like to have shared on the radio show, please send us an email at info at animalvoices.org, or you can post us a message on our Facebook page because we definitely do play those on the air. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, now we're going to talk a bit about the movie uh, Eating Your Way to Extinction. And before we get into it, we're going to just play the ad, um, the main trailer for the film. But I also wanted to take this moment, um, I think this is on topic with the film. Um, there's another art auction that's going on right now that I wanted to plug, and I, I was just reminded. It's a Fairy Creek Frontline art auction, and you can find information about that on Ella underscore KM's Instagram. Um, and it will be, um, all the money will be going towards frontline work, uh, frontline fighters of the, of Fairy Creek. And it will be an online bidding auction. Uh, you'll, there'll be some painting, some tattoo flash, um, some pottery, and even a cake that is vegan friendly. So, uh, check that out. But now we're going to go into our, the sec- segment discussing this film, Eating Our Way to Extinction. Thanks, Allison. This film was, I have to say, very overwhelming, and as a longtime vegan, it can be almost enraging, because some of these things are, like, facts that we've known for a while, such as corruption in government, that, and money, you know, leading a lot of people's decision-making as far as how you subsidize industries. Um, But a few, like, really interesting facts, they started out talking about um, the WikiLeaks, actually, and how there was a document stating that with their projections, there's about 30 years left um, until major, major climate catastrophe. And I've seen clocks saying, too, that we have about six years right now to revert, like to reverse any major issues related to climate change or become carbon negative. 
and most countries are, you know, not at all expecting that to happen and not doing any work to make that happen. Um, sadly, yeah. sadly, Canada has a goal, but Definitely. I just feel like it's not happening fast enough, and that's mm-hmm. why people need to watch this film. Highly recommend, by the way. Absolutely, yeah. It it had some facts that, like, I think were mentioned briefly in films like Cowspiracy, but this movie really extrapolates on a lot of things and also focuses on how our difference, the differences that we make as an individual, people often say, you know, I don't want to be vegan, I don't want to change my behavior, I I, you know, I prefer the taste of meat so much, but this is something that we can change because it is based on consumerism. And when we change our behaviors, it helps not just people in our community, but, you know, deforestation in the Amazon has been going on for decades at this point, and we're reaching a, a an air, like a, a level of no return. And so they highlight and anchor the film in uh, indigenous stories, whether that be in the Amazon or in the mountains of Taiwan about how climate change has, uh, you know, negatively impacted people of color and indigenous people uh, at a greater rate than an extent that it has, you know, us in, in you know, North America. So I really did appreciate and applaud the film for, for focusing on that. Right. Um, did, you want, did we want to start off with how, like, the main theme of the, that, that the film started off with, which mm-hmm. I applaud because... We all know the film Cowspiracy, which is also, it make, this film makes you think of the film Cowspiracy, which totally. can be seen on Netflix. Many people have seen it. It's an, also an environmental film that shows the devastation that animal agriculture is putting on our planet. And it also has a consistent theme that we can all change this by going plant-based. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit more uh punchy investigative journalism with some laughs here and there, which this one has a little bit of too anecdotal here and there. This one's mostly, I would say, like factual, evidence-based. They're interviewing a lot of scientists who are working globally on these issues who are just stating matter of fact we're in a climate crisis and it's because of animal agriculture. But I wanted to say to start with, they spoke about the fishing industry. Mm Let's talk about that. Yeah, because I think that is something, even in my family, my sister's always been like, only eats fish and thinks it's something that's way better for you. But yeah, my friend just told me this week, yeah. um, instead of becoming vegan, I'll be pescatarian. Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, and okay. after seeing this, uh, China consumes 65 million tons of sea life, of, of fish in the world. Per year, is that? Uh, I believe so, okay. yeah, annually. And at this point, and this is something that they talk about as well, that we've really reached, we have about 10% left of all fish, and they also highlight specifically and really importantly, and especially for people living on the coast of British Columbia, uh, the farmed fish uh, industry, and fish get this ridiculous lice. And fish sped, spread that lice, they don't mention this at all, but, but farmed salmon will split, spread that lice to wild salmon. Yes, yes. Um, and additionally, the amount of methane, because in the ocean there's a lot of trapped methane, so fish, uh, the, f- the fish farms can produce like an enormous amount of, of methane release because a lot of, you know, the ocean holds a lot of life and we are creating these massive dead zones and uh, many of these massive dead zones are highly toxic as well right they start um they really break it down by actually explaining uh there's a talk about microbeads as well maybe you want to explain what a microbead is yeah so plastic essentially microplastics um plastic in our ocean i think a lot of us have heard about the great uh pacific Garbage, garbage patch. patch, and it's just garbage plastic floating in the ocean. Many, most of this, a lot of this garbage comes from the agriculture industry or the fishing industry, like large dragnets, for example, that get animals get tangled up in or swallow. And they found that um, every single animal in the ocean and inevitably also on land has plastic in them. And they found that there is 27% more plastic than fish larvae in um, just a, a molecule of ocean water. Yes. Yeah, so they uh, speaking of the Pacific 
the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, or whatever yeah. it's called, 1.6 million square kilometers. Oh that's God. how big it is, just to let you let listeners know who might not have heard of it before. And that's an area twice the size of Texas or three times the size of France. This is plastic garbage that is floating in our oceans. There are other garbage patches in the oceans. This is just the largest one. And most of it is made, you know, there's always mm. campaigns to, oh, bring your own reusable straw because of the oceans. No, right. it's not that. It's not straws. It's not even plastic water bottles. Half of it is fishing net gear that has sunk or has, like, torn away. You know, it's been torn away from the, the boats, and it's, it's, it has accumulated to make these big patches of garbage and that's where the microbeads are coming from so remember the scene where they actually broke it down and they showed a phytoplankton mm-hmm. which are the tiniest little organisms in the ocean right? right that's basically the bottom of the ecosystem well it showed them uh with uh microbeads around them and showing that they would ingest the microbeads so they're full of the plastic already and then the fish what do they eat the they smaller eat fish, phytoplankton. They eat phytoplankton. Even whales eat phytoplankton. Exactly. Like everyone, everyone in the ocean eats phytoplankton, and that's why, um, that's why all the fish are contaminated. Yeah, they had a really interesting segment. Um, I can't remember the name of the uh, motivational speaker, but he was saying that he'd gone pescatarian and was Tony eating Robbins. a lot of fish. Tony, Tony Robbins, Robbins, right? Very famous. Yeah. Really well known for being a motivational speaker. Yeah. He said he was vegan for 12 years. I, I do remember he was. Yeah. But what happened to him? Right. He took a, he decided like, oh, well, you know, maybe I should eat fish because I need my burgers. And you know, he started feeling strange and it, and fainted, I think, and had like a collapse of his knees. And the doctor assessed and thought that he'd been poisoned with mercury. He had 123 parts per million or something of mercury in his body, of methylmercury. When you should at, or any number over five is pretty toxic and, and will have long-term effects. Mercury and plastics, plastics in particular, they can impact your, your nervous system. Going back to you talking about the importance of flexibility. If you consume plastic, and we all are consuming plastic. It's in our water. It's we in are. everything. And that is going to have some long-term impacts on our brain health, on our physical muscular development. It almost killed him. Yeah. He had to go to the emergency hospital to get this taken care of. Exactly. He had, he has a hole in his esophagus, so that's his raspy voice comes from his his mercury. Yeah. Um, It's serious stuff. He could have died. Honestly. And so he, you know, and I feel like that's a story you don't hear. I I have a lot of people in my life who eat a lot of fish. And Mm -hmm. to think about that health risk, that bioaccumulation is something we've been learning about for a long, long time. I remember learning about it in right. like my second grade class. And oh, really? Some, yeah, I mean, honestly, the idea of biomagnification and why pregnant women shouldn't eat fish, I mean... I mean, that makes sense, but yeah. it's not just pregnant women. Like, why, why would you want to put that into yourself if you're not right. nourishing a baby inside of you, right? And that man, like, he was, he's a very fit person. Yeah. He's working out a lot. He's exercising. He lives And he's very life. large, yeah. too. So, it, you know, it took a lot to knock him down. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, so that was really, really frightening. Um, and one more scene, I think, what was interesting and really set this film apart as well was this uh, discussion with butchers. Ex-butchers about the amount of pus in um, in animals, particularly pigs. Um, as we know, there's a lot of antibiotics that are pumped into animals that are consumed in the agriculture industry. Uh, but I had no idea the extent uh, until this scene. Yeah, so the scene shows they're interviewing two butchers, and one butcher says he has worked at many butcheries around, and, yeah. he saw, and they're both, and they both have a, um, a cut of meat in front of them, mm-hmm. and they say, okay, this is, was it a shoulder or something like that? I'm not I even sure. No it's a hunk of meat, and they're saying, they're like, like, okay, so let's just see this piece of meat here, and yep, there's one. So there's a lot of pus nodules because mm-hmm. what is pus? It's white blood cells that are fighting infections. Mm-hmm. That is commonly found in meat. I knew that. I already know that. Yeah. I already know this stuff. Like it's enough reason just to turn your turn yourself off meat. And they say, yeah, butchers aren't promoting this because right. they know it's going to make them look bad. They won't be able to sell their product. And they squeezed out this huge tube of white pus and they said yeah it often comes out like that in that consistency 
Um, and he says this is like, this cut is on a daily it. basis. They're having to cut around. They also have to cut around tumors that's commonly found. Mm-hmm. Um, this is your meat, and meat is of, often, um, meat is like, it's often bleached as well, and then they put color back into it to make mm-hmm. it look red because the meat, the meat has gone into a gray state by the time it gets to the butcher, right? Mm-hmm. So this is stuff that, um, you know, the butchers, and he said he used to work at a supermarket. The supermarkets mm-hmm. don't want you to know. But if you knew that, and if you don't believe us, watch the film, or why don't you just look up on YouTube, um, Pus in Meat. And I'm sure there's a lot of videos about it. There's certainly a lot of videos of people squeezing pus out of themselves because mm. so, we're animals too, so right? So funny. So but, true. Pimple poppers. But, yeah, the pimple poppers <laughs> phrase. But this is, this this is, is like no huge, joke. This is huge yeah. cysts that are in the body and, mm-hmm. uh, and tumors as well, like I said, that is common for butchers to have to cut around. So right. that was another scene, as you say, that like really sort of like sat with me there and I think is going to affect mm-hmm. people because it was very visual. Yeah, and it was a conversation too, these two uh, butchers kind of talking about their personal experiences doing this and yeah. how much, how it, you know, it frustrates them at this point that no one really does talk about it. Um, and animals are pumped so heavily with antibiotics. And at this point, um, one thing they mention is that we're reaching a point of a post-antibiotic world. And a lot of that is related to animals getting sick. And obviously one thing they highlight in the film is, um, because it's released in 2021 is, um, is COVID and how many, many like vegan scientists had, had just predicted that we would have this because obviously there was swine flu in the early 2010s which was related to pigs there's SARS there's COVID of course and just endless number of of of, you know examples of these kinds of diseases being caused from the animal agriculture industry and we're not reaching like we're reaching a point where there's going to be no solution like COVID most likely isn't the end of it that we're going to be consistently seeing this and they're going to be getting worse and worse as they have been which is really, really scary, and I don't like thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, it is scary. I guess, um, yeah, I guess we're a bit over time, huh? Oh, yeah, it's time <laughs> for our show. I do, it's 12.30, the bottom of the hour. Good track, though. Good oh, track. Yeah. So what's the movie called? Eating Your Way to Extinction. Uh, our Way to our Extinction. Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet is the executive producer yeah. of this thread, actually, and she's the narrator. Yeah. Uh, she must be vegan. I applaud her. I guess so. Because she kept saying through the film, uh, the only way to alleviate this is we need to go plant-based. And I watched it on iTunes. So mm. you can watch it out there, streaming versions. Yeah. I got it on uh, Amazon Prime. Awesome. You are listening to Animal Voices on Vancouver's Cod Radio, 100.5 FM CFRO. 100% listener sponsored radio, broadcasting live from the east side of unceded Coast Salish territories. All right. Uh, sorry, that was cut short. Um, but, you know, thinking about the movie, I wanted to talk a little bit about the concept of systems change. As vegan activists, we need to think about ways to literally change the system because it is the system that is inherently flawed and that is subsidizing meat and dairy, uh, giving them $65 million a year. Of, no, sorry, $38 billion a year and only $20 million to fruit and vegetable subsidies. So when we think about systems change, uh, we're trying to find the root causes of problems that are embedded in the networks that we are, um, I guess, just part of. And initially, you know, when systems are put together, they might make sense, but culture is constantly changing and our systems haven't been. So as a vegan activist, we need to consider 
the root causes of our, these very insidious problems in, in our world and try to make a case for them. Make information accessible about how we're trying to change the system. Collaborate and make incentives. Talk about how we can actually benefit from making these large changes to our systems. But remember that, obviously, we're not trying to rewrite the wheel. We're not trying to make something completely different. We're working within the system at times to change it. And I know that sounds annoying. I don't love the system, and it's so, so inherently flawed and built around pain. But there's only, you know, you have to think about small changes that will have big impacts. So one example of a systems change way of thinking is how, for example, they brought wolves back into Yellowstone, and making that one small change actually reduced the amount of deer in Yellowstone, and then somehow that brought back livestock, that brought back uh, vegetation, that brought back waterways. So when we think about things even such as veganism, we keep hearing that we have only 30 years to left on the planet, and if we were to reduce meat consumption by 80%, or maybe just even reduce consumption of fish or fishing in the oceans, we could have a ripple effect to help save our planet. Uh, and so when we think of problems, there's different types. And one thing I've noticed, for example, there's simple problems like, you know, how do I put my shoes on? There's a straight answer to that. There's complicated problems that have answers like flying a jet plane, complex problems like raising a child, things that have to be in flux. And then there are chaotic problems like having a pandemic. You don't really know how to act until you're in the middle of it. And you have to, uh, yeah, you have to think about ways that uh, and act and change your decision-making process through the, 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 the awful thing that's going on. And I think that we're seeing that. And animal agriculture not eating animals could be one solution to this chaotic problem. Um, but with that uh, little rant and ramble of what I've been thinking about this week, uh, we're going to go into our feature interview. Uh, Matan is Matan is the uh, owner of Drop Naked, um, Matan Veloc, and Drop Naked is a chocolate company that was started in uh, Canada. We found them on our Vegan Vancouver Facebook group, and I'm so excited to have them on the show. Are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah. I'm excited to be here, too. Thank you for having me. Welcome to the show. Yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, First, I just wanted to ask you, what is Drop Naked Chocolate, and when did you get started with this company? Absolutely. So Drop Naked Chocolate is an um, Okanagan-based, whole food, plant-based chocolate. So the idea is to create kind of a... Kind of like a, um, a chocolate truffle, like the ones mm. you find at, uh, you know, Purdy's, Godiva, um, Girardelli, Laura Secord, but to just make it with healthy ingredients, so, you know, without any oils or syrups. So we're using date, peanuts, dark chocolate that is uh, organic and fair trade certified, you know, taking care of our people. And, um, you know, so you don't have to feel bad about it, and you don't have to feel bad after eating it either, <laughs> literally. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. Um yeah, so why did you choose to start the company as vegan chocolate specifically? And, and what do you say is the mission of Drop Naked? Sure. So um, I was diagnosed with kidney disease. I'll make this kind of short and sweet, but I was diagnosed with kidney disease at the age of 20. Um, I That led me to kind of a, a personal um, discovery, you know, several years of personal discovery looking for how to help myself, how to treat myself. There were no cures for uh, it's a genetic kidney disease that I have. Mm-hmm. So I kind of um, stumbled upon the whole food plant-based diet, the raw food diet as well. Um, and it was always plant-based. It was always um, 100% plant-based. That was kind of the most health-conducive to me that I felt the best on, that I, I saw the best um, the best effects uh, on my health with. But then, you know, once you start looking into all this and you, and you discover what happens in the industry, um, you know, the, 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 the environment, the animals, the, the human rights uh, violations of this industry, you just, if you have a heart, you just, you can't continue eating animal products. Um, and so, you know, it, it was, it started with, well, I'll buy more local meat and, and then, you know, because I didn't know what to eat and there weren't very, there weren't a lot of alternatives. Like, I'm 37 years old now, so this is 17 years ago, there weren't many alternatives 
Um, and it's just over the years, it's, it's just become easier and easier. And I've gone from being vegetarian to being kind of like quasi vegan on the border. And today I'm like, I, I'm, I'm 100% fully plant-based. And, you know, my goal today is really with this company to create alternatives because, you know, I'm not a dietitian, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to put myself out there and, and promote the health benefits of it. Um, you know, I'm not a medical professional, but I am a chef by training. I was cross-trained both at uh, Living Light Culinary Institute, California, in raw vegan cuisine. I was also trained at George Brown in conventional French cuisine. Um, so I, I have two certificates, two chef schools, and I do kind of a fusion. And so that's my strength. That's my passion. That's what I've kind of always wanted to do, even though I studied business in university and all that. But um, I feel like where, where I'm kind of meant to be is, um, is creating alternatives because, you know, if we can create alternatives that are just naturally plant-based and people start realizing that, you know, they can get everything they want in terms of taste from the plant-based world, you know, that's really the future. It, it, look at the success of Beyond Meat and look how many imitations. Look at the success of Tesla and look mm -hmm. at how many imitations. Like, you know, it, you have to disrupt the industry with products that are just as good or even better um, and give people the option. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing with Drop Naked. Well, I love that. I, yeah, I'm always really in interested in people's different personal journeys and you're so right. I mean, that it has changed so much in the past few years. So it's really cool to see that you were able to be part of that change, making more accessible options for people. Like I really applaud you. You're like, I need this kind of chocolate for myself. So I might as well make it for everyone. Um, and you mm. kind of answered a little bit my next question, which is why you decided to go plant-based um, and your journey, which you shared with me. But, you know, what has been the challenges? It sounds like you have a, a lot of knowledge as far as the food industry and the business industry, but what were kind of the unforeseen issues bringing Drop Naked to market? Oh, my gosh. You know, <laughs> at first I thought my goal is to get this out on the market as fast and as wide as possible. Mm. I want everyone eating this. I want everyone to see how good plant-based chocolate can be. I want everyone eating healthier. I want everyone having healthier options out there. You know, my mom also passed away from cancer when I was a mm -hmm. 13, so it was kind of like a motivation for me as well to do, uh, you know, plant-based in her honor and for myself and for the animals, environment, people, all that. So, um, but <laughs> in the beginning, I thought, okay, I'd get, you know, a professional chocolatier to make this for me, and I would just focus on selling it. And I would go Canada-wide, and I would go all across North America, and everyone would be eating plant-based. And, and that was kind of my dream, my vision. So I started experimenting with um, different professional chocolatiers. Um, I tested with three professional chocolatiers that, if I, if I mention their names, you'd probably know them, but I won't for confidentiality <laughs> reasons. Um, but, but, you know, they've been uh, – they make products that are, you know um, – they have the ability to create uh, our product with more automation, you know, so everything we do is absolutely by hand. Everything right now is by hand, and my labor is, is through the roof. And so I thought if I can get, you know, a bigger chocolatier that already has all the equipment that I want to have one day, they could make it. But what I found is I experimented with all these chocolatiers, and they said this is such a complicated process to make mm -hmm. that even just that little bit that we would have to make by hand is just we can't do it, we can't do it, we don't want to do it, we won't do it. It was just like shot down one after another. They were like, this is too complicated, you know, to use to use whole dates, to use mm -hmm. real peanuts. Like, it's just, unfortunately, the way that the industry is today, people, I guess it's just easier for food manufacturers, not everyone, but I guess it's just easier for food manufacturers to use unhealthy ingredients. So by, by the time, you know, almost a year was over and wasted and God knows how many thousands of dollars wasted in all these trials. Um, I just decided, okay, I'm, I just have to do this myself. So I started looking for kitchens and, um, you know, eventually I found a kitchen and uh, now we're, we're in our second kitchen now. It's, uh, we, we've moved up to a, a little bit bigger of a commercial kitchen. So we rent a, you know, Health Canada certified commercial kitchen and we're making it ourselves, and I have a team now that, again, we, we've had to go through 10, 10 or 15 uh, people to find, you know, the right three or four people that can be with the team, that I can pay them well, I can treat them well, that kind of thing. But it took so long, and so, I, you know, just to get to the point where I can make one flavor <laughs> of this product and one size of this product took 
such an immense amount of work, I, I never, ever, ever anticipated it. But it's true what they say. If you love what you do, it doesn't feel like work. Um, and I literally feel like I've just been, you know, um, I, I've just kind of been on vacation for the last year because I love what I do. It's, it's amazing. And I got to, uh, to, to, uh, I got to meet some amazing people, and I just eat chocolate all day. <laughs> it's, it's worth it. <laughs> Sounds like a job I'd like. <laughs> <laughs> you Candy can come maker. to the facility anytime. Oh, you right. can be our taste right. on some new products. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm really shocked by that, too, like the fact that even ingredients, simple ingredients like peanuts, are hard to get other people behind using on a scale. Like that is so shocking to me to hear. Um, I feel like I think of products and how many products have peanuts or are peanut flavored. That particularly mm. is really shocking to hear that you can't just use a whole nut and it's not, and it, it's, and no one, uh, people just are, are resistant to that. It's so shocking. Yeah, well, it's the processing of, of um, it's the labor involved in processing mm. everything the way that we do. It's, it's, it's very time consuming and labor intensive, especially if you don't have huge machines that do it for you. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and we don't have that, you know, half a million dollars right now to spend on it. Hopefully we will soon, and then we can keep the same people that we have now, hire a couple more people, and then automate, and then we can produce more flavors and more, you know, more sizes and, and everything. But we need the machines to do that. Um, one thing I also wanted to say was how I've... I've seen your company and your packaging and all of your uh, information for some time through vegan Facebook groups, and I was really interested in the fact that you used your audience to help create your design. Um, and I know I gave you some like questions in advance, but I'm just I'm inspired to ask you a bit about how you decided to do that and what was your motivation to including you know the vegan community in your product. Absolutely. Well, I mean. At the end of the day, this is a plant-based product, and our primary uh, audience, um, mm. or the most natural audience, I should say, is the, the vegan community, the plant-based community. And so, um, you know, people that are making that choice from whether it's health, environment, animals, human rights, um, when I say human rights, I mean, you know, all the factory mm. workers and, 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 you know, um, under underpaid factory workers and injured factory workers that work in the meat plants and all that. So anyway, um, and of course all the chemicals that are sprayed on the farms and the families that are shut down and the farmers that kill themselves and et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, um, so so for so many reasons, you know, people come to plant-based eating. Um, and so regardless of where they come from, that's kind of our audience. So, mm-hmm. so naturally, just asking that audience is the best way to go. I mean, I remember in business school they said it's, it's really that simple. The, the worst thing you can do in business is overcomplicate things. Mm. You know, we have charts, we have graphs, we have spreadsheets, and, and, you know, so do I in this business. But the worst thing you can do is overcomplicate it. At the end, business is just creating something that people want for people mm. and asking them what you can do better. <laughs> That's totally. literally what my marketing <laughs> professor used to say. Wow. I, I just applaud, like, the bravery of, like, showing people and being like, this is something I'm working hard on, and I want to know how you feel about it, because I think a lot of people feel, like, put their, their brand and their company really close to their heart, so. And, and you got a lot of support from the the vegan community, too. I remember every time, well, any mm-hmm. anytime someone's going to post about, I'm making vegan chocolate, yeah. <laughs> obviously, that's going to draw a lot of attention, and then there's suddenly, like, 200 likes, and a lot of people are commenting, and I, I just went now to look at the packaging that you have chosen or seem to have chosen and yeah I remember why I really mm-hmm. wanted to wanted to get um, your chocolates into my mouth because your packaging is amazing <laughs> it makes them look amazing <laughs> thank you that's uh, that is due to all of the people that uh, helped us pick the packaging of course it's due to our graphic designer it's due mm-hmm. to our uh, all of our teams that helped put it together that took pictures of the chocolate and you, you see that little piece in front little chocolate in front mm-hmm. um if you go to our website, yeah. naked.com, there's yes, a big yes. bag. Yes, there's a bite out of it. Yeah, there's yeah. a bite out of it. And so you don't know how many we had to bite down to get just that right look. And so everyone was just like. Well, <laughs> I'm on your volunteer stuff. list for that next time, remember? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. No, we should definitely meet in person. You are cordially invited um, to come over and check it out and, and awesome. help us with some research. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to kind of jump around here because that's kind of uh, relating to one question. I was I was curious about what got you choosing the size and shape, choosing the truffles over like a candy bar. Um, kind of what was the inspiration behind choosing 
you know, bite-sized morsels of chocolate over your conventional chocolate bar. Yeah, absolutely. So let me hmm, let me go back to the example of Tesla. Mm-hmm. Tesla chose to make to to use kind of like the epitome of of the car. So the, the fastest, the safest, the coolest, the best looking, um, and that that's what they they went with. And then you could see all the imitations that followed. Because when people buy cars, they want some people want safety. There's there's a demographic that wants safety. There's a demographic that wants performance, there's a demographic that wants looks, um, and that's what people go after. Now, with chocolate, we kind of wanted to become the Tesla of chocolate, so what do people want when they eat chocolate? They want to be able to eat it without guilt, they want to be, they want it to look amazing, and of course, the most important is they want it to taste amazing. So, the, the shape and size was influenced by um, the chocolate that I would eat, and I think most of us would eat, actually based on my market research, um, that is the chocolate that most of us would eat on a regular basis if they could afford it, which is, you know, the, the, the truffles that you get, you know, when you give a gift uh, during the holidays and you get that gift box and you open it up and there's like that assortment of truffles, you know, the square-shaped small chocolates that you get from, from the, the professional chocolatiers. Those are the ones that people really enjoy the most. Mm-hmm. They're, they're the most delicate, uh, decadent, and that's why we gift them during the holidays because those are really the, the luxury um, of, of chocolate. And so that's what it was really inspired by, is creating that luxury in people's minds and people's mouths. Um, you know, we could have made these into a chocolate bar easily. We could have made them into the shape of any chocolate bar. But it just doesn't it doesn't feel the same, right? Part mm-hmm. of eating is the experience. It's not it's the experience before it goes in your mouth. Part of eating is, is seeing it, looking at it, looking at it, planning how you're going to eat it. There's so many things that go into it before you actually put a, a, a piece of chocolate in your mouth. And so... Mm-hmm. That was kind of the inspiration. So we looked at uh, we looked at everything from texture and size to look and feel and and, and, and taste and aftertaste and you know we evaluated each of the ingredients based on um, the aftertaste based on what people told us they wanted. Uh, for example, the fair trade certified chocolate. You know, people said that's very important to them and it's very important to me as well. So that was a natural, you know, we naturally moved in that direction. And, and people told us, you know, what sweeteners they want. I mean, we really researched every aspect of it and found okay. This is what people want. Let's just let's just go for it and create something that people want. Because you know, life's too short to just you know create a product just to make money. It's you know you want to create mm-hmm. things that are going to make the world a better place. And I and I say that honestly and truthfully because we're not making any money yet. We're still we're still very heavily in debt. Mm-hmm. But um, I hope that I hope that by doing the right thing here and by making something that people really want, that uh, we'll get to the point where we make we make a lot of money too. I really hope so. And then we can invest in better projects and future projects. Bravo to that. Yeah. And it's something that a lot of business people talk about, just right, that straight, how hard it is to start out. And again, that like leads me to your question of, you know, what have been the biggest accomplishments and what are you trying to hope and what expectations do you have for the future of the company moving forward? Well, to be honest, I want to create many plant-based products. Chocolate mm-hmm. is just the beginning for me, but mm-hmm. already in chocolate, I've got five or six product lines that are planned, almost ready, um, fully wow. developed, uh, and pre- practically ready for the market. Um, there will be, of course, more development, more research that goes into each one. Um, you know, you can expect several months of research with each new product, mm-hmm. um, and it's very important to do that research and to ask questions in different ways to make sure you're getting the same answers and to ask different people and to, at different times and different locations. Um, but um, I would like to, uh, uh, if everything goes well, then uh, then I think Canada can expect to see this product um, across Canada um, probably in the next year or so, um, as well as to see different sizes, different flavors, um, and also different textures and different um, forms of, 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 you know, these natural chocolates. Um, so... This is really only the beginning, and I can't say too much because I want it to be a bit of a, of a surprise for people, and we need to disrupt the market a little bit. But I can mm. tell you there is some very innovative stuff coming down the line, um, and uh, hopefully soon. <laughs> the, 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 the faster we can expand and get more, more sales, the, the more money we have to invest in those new projects. So it's... Um, it's, it's exciting for me, uh, and uh, hopefully I can get it out there ASAP. Um, before Christmas, I can tell you that there, there is planned a new flavor before Ooh. Christmas. So you, 
Wow, that's so exciting. So where can people get your product? Okay, so uh, we are now, um, just in the last month, we've expanded aggressively, and we're now in 20 stores across BC. Um, so that goes from the Okanagan everywhere in from Vernon down to Penticton. Um, I think within a week or two we'll be uh, all the way down to Oliver or even the Soyuz, and uh, within a week we'll be up in Kamloops at the Natrix Fair in Kamloops as well. So uh, starting next Friday you'll be able to get it at Natrix Fair Kamloops as well. And then in the mainland, we're available at uh, both Nature's Fairs as well as both Vegan Supplies, so Vegan mm. Supply Chinatown, Vegan Supply Surrey. Amazing. Vegan Supplies, a mere, what, three blocks from yeah, here? Yeah, maybe Let's we'll go there over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I guess I, I'm the going car ride to home. do that, actually, yeah. in the town, so that you've got another sale today. Yeah, definitely. And are you going to be at Planted Expo? I was just curious about that. You know, I have to be honest, I've been so busy, I haven't even looked into yeah. what Planted Expo, where it's being held. and Right. You should look it up. It's going to be at the convention center in about a month, um, and it's where a lot of vegan products like showcase them, and they give out samples. So it's a great place to connect with your audience as well. November 25th, and they're, they're doing one in Toronto this year as mm-hmm. well. I don't know when that is. Yeah, so I guess to wrap up, is there any way that you know we can connect with you? Is there anything that you want to share before we say goodbye? Oh, wow. Um, oh, I, I did forget. Um, we are available through Vegan Supply for Canada-wide, actually worldwide mm. shipping. Um, yes. Vegan Supply they is ship amazing everywhere. that way. Mm-hmm. So vegansupply.ca is where you can get these chocolates shipped to your door. Amazing. Yes, and yeah, if, you want, um, if you want to know where they're going to be uh, available, what you can also do is go to dropnaked.com. Just scroll down. It'll give you a link to purchase it online, which will take you to Vegan Supply. But if you scroll down a tiny bit farther, you'll see a retailer map, and you'll see the actual retailers, and they're, they're added live in real time. So as, as I get a new retailer, I add it to the map. Um, and then you can see them just like on a Google map. You can see all of our retailers. Click on it, get the address, phone number, et cetera, so you can you can go and shop wherever's closest to you. Okay. Thank you so much for being on the show. I hope you have you. a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, and hope to uh, hope to chat with you ladies again soon. Yeah, have a great afternoon. All right. So you've been listening to Animal Voices Radio on 100.5 Co-op Radio on Unseated and Ancestral, Tsleil-Waututh, Musqueam, and Squamish Territories here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Thank you so much for joining us this week. And please join us next week for our show on October 29th. Which Halloween be- show, Ooh, I think it might be. Spooky, spooky. And I- it's World Vegan Day coming up on November 1st. So. Oh, yeah. So that'll be our World Vegan Day show as well. Yeah. Or we'll probably follow up about it again the week after. But that will hopefully be produced by Elise, our lovely co-host. Um, and we'll find out what they're going to be showing next week. Um, you can connect with us online at our website animalvoices.org and yes we're on twitter at animal voices yvr we also are on facebook at animal voices vancouver mm. and instagram as well check out the facebook for all the links and things that we've talked about today so oh, we're yeah. also going to post a link to dropnaked.com so people totally. can quickly find that and look at their amazing packaging mm-hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> we're also on apple podcast if you can't listen to us live and we're on google play Uh, And, of course, our website if you want to re-listen to these shows. Um, So to close out today's show, uh, I'm going to play a song by uh, B. Steadwell called Greens that I heard on my Discover Weekly. And it's so adorable. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. After that will be Radio Eco Shock with Alex Alex Smith. So thank you so much for listening to Animal Voices. Stay safe inside and remember to be kind to the animals. I'm gonna give you the best dreams, the best
this program, one of the world's top scientists reports on the climate threat that will cause the most evacuations, damage, and maybe migration. It is not heat or rising seas. From Germany, Dr. Anders Leberman from the Potsdam Institute joins us. From Australia, Dr. Matt Santamuris reveals shocking details in cities and how to cool them. From Cambridge University, Dr. Laura Diaz and Adon warns politicized science endangers us all. Three interviews. This is Radio EcoShock. River floods already displace more people within countries than any other cause, and they affect far more people than other disasters. New science reveals humans will have to prepare and adapt much harder for even more river flooding in the next 20 years due to climate change. Our guest is a scientist with many roles. Dr. Anders Leverman is Professor of Dynamics at the Climate System at Potsdam University in Germany. He is a leader at the renowned Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research, or PIC. He's an adjunct scientist at Columbia University in New York and lead author of the latest IPCC chapter on sea level change. He's a journal editor and more. Dr. Leverman is co-author of a new paper, Adaptation Required to Preserve Future High-End River Flood Risk, at present 